0: Found yourself asking life's toughest questions and never knowing what to do? Well fasten your seatbelts and a hold on to your armrests because you tune into the game show where you find out all the answers. So let's play What's God's Will! So welcome, welcome to uh, the final week of a series we've done called What's God's Will? So if you're here for the first time, don't sweat it. I'm going to keep you right in track of where we're going. You're not going to miss a beat. And what we've been discovering over the last few weeks is, is that big question that you and I always have. And whether you even believe in God or not, you still want to actually know what is the plan for my life. You might not even believe in God, but you still want good things for your life. You want to know what that best plan is for your life. And what we believe as followers of Christ is that God actually holds the keys and has made the blueprints and has drawn up the plans for the best life possible. Can I get that amen out? We just believe that God has designed a life that, as a matter of fact, that if you drew up what your best life could look like, And we compared it to what God's would look like, God's would always win. And here's why. It's because God, when he thinks about decisions and he thinks about your life, and he does it completely unbiased, that when he thinks about the plan for your life, do you know God feels no fear? See, you and I, when we make decisions, we are moved by fears or sometimes desires that that just kind of get in the way. Do you know that when God makes decisions and makes plans, that he does so, um, and he's not emotionally jaded? See, many of us, when we get involved in decisions about what do we do here and do we go there and what do I do with this, there's an emotionally loaded thing inside of us that can sometimes cloud the subject. Also, when we try to make decisions, we typically think about pros and cons. If I go here, I could get this. And if I go here, I could get this. And which one's better? But here's the reality. You don't really know, do you? Like we can make our best guess, it can be even a pretty good guess, but you don't know the real outcome of the decisions that you make. You just think you know for the most part. But what if you actually entrusted God with your decision making, and in essence you would be entrusting your decision making to a God who is emo- an emotionally unloaded. I Meaning he's as cool as the other side of the pillow. What if you gave and entrusted your decisions to a God who saw all the angles, who saw all the outcomes, and who always knew what was the wise thing to do? You know what you would be? You'd be blessed. You'd be right in the sweet spot of life. And over the course of this series, we've been looking at different ways that you discover God's will. One of the ways that we discover God's will is through the wise counsel of other believers people who were maybe a little more experienced than us or older or wiser than us. A gentleman came up to me after that service and he said, what do I do? I'm, 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 I'm one of the old ones. There's not a lot of people older than me. I said, well, number one, you need to recognize that you're here now to give counsel. But when you need it, you're probably not looking for somebody in their 90s, since you're in your 80s. You're probably looking for somebody who has wisdom in the specialty of that area that you need advice and help. Not only that, we, we find God's will in God's word or in the scriptures. See, the scriptures are loaded, and I mean loaded, with principle after principle that will give you incredible insight into how life works, how God works, how this all thing was put together, and God wants you to come to certain decisions where you don't even necessarily have to pray. You can sit back and say, well, I just know. I just know what God will want me to do because I know what the scriptures say. So today we find ourselves kind of on this part for this final week, and what I want to show you is that there's just, just, you know, this isn't an exhaustive series either. Like you could come up to ask me and say, well, what if you discover God's will this way? As a matter of fact, let me give you a few. One of the ways you can discover God's will and the way that God really reveals his will is through authority. Nobody amens at that one. Nobody's like, yeah, authority. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Yeah, but the Bible is really clear about God establishes and works through authority. And so when the spiritual authorities over your life give you input or give you direction, you follow it because that's how authority works. Some of us, and and you'll know what I'm talking about, if you've walked with Jesus for a certain amount of time, sometimes God guides you with his peace, doesn't he? You come to a situation and many times we just, God... You're just gonna have to give me peace about this because right now I'm just tore up and I'm fearful and I'm, I don't know what to do. I'm uncertain. God, give me peace of heart. That, and you, you just know, all of a sudden, God just seems to kind of just make all the fear go away. He gives, it just settles down in your heart and you just know God is with you and you can move forward in that arena. Sometimes God speaks to you through these little, what I call Holy Spirit unctions. Now, every once in a while, I find a Christian who, who thinks they hear from God 20 times a day and God bless you. Um, I don't. And so I've never heard an audible voice. I'm not even sure that I would really want to because I think I would be scared. And, and so I've never had that, but I have these little moments where on the inside of me, I just feel this kind of movement or unction to say, hey, go do this or go do that. And usually it's in little things. And when I obey them, I find just these little interesting divine moments take place. And again, we don't do wild and crazy things on those unctions because again, whenever we come to decision-making, we bring those decisions to God We pray about them, we search the scriptures, we seek wise counsel, and we lay them all before God before we make big or even, for me, medium-sized decisions. Today, though, I'm going to show you through the character and the person of Nehemiah that there is another great way that you begin to learn how to make decisions inside of God's plan. Let's pray before we go and look there today. So, Father, through your words, we pray that we would gain just a little bit of insight, a little bit more understanding, a little bit more clarity so that when we have to make that decision, do we go here or do we go there? Do we go with that one or do we pick with that one? Do we, God, in those moments, God, we, pray that, we pray that your direction would be clear to us, God, because we want to be right slap dab in the middle of your perfect will. If you believe that, with me say amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Nehemiah chapter six. And the reason why I tell you that now, because I won't be there for a few minutes, is it'll probably take you a few minutes to find it. Um, you, ever, you ever find that? Like there's like, gosh, where is Obadiah at? And unless you've got thumb tabs and are cheating, it's just really hard to find certain books of the Bible. So, and if you don't have your Bible, we make it even easier on you and we're just gonna throw it on the screens for you. So, but today, here's what I'm gonna show you. What I'm gonna show you is, is that one of the ways that God speaks to you is through the idea of giving you a compelling vision for your life. Here's how I would kind of frame that. Some of you, especially that that are very, very career oriented. Very, very professional. If I were to sit down with you today and ask you, hey, do you have like a five-year goal? Do you have a five-year plan? Do you have a five-year or 10-year vision for your career? I mean, I know some career people, they will sit down and they have a thing that they have written, that they have, they have thought about, they've prayed about, they've, they've just daydreamed about, and they know this is where I wanna be in five years and by this year, by year 10, I wanna be here. And, and some of you ladies, you're the same way. Some of you ladies, when it comes to maybe your family and that's what really drives you and you're like, I know that when I'm this age, I wanna be married and by this age, I want to start having kids. And you've got this kind of blueprint laid out of how the preferred destination of your life would be. Isn't that what a vision is? Let let me tell you and define for you, when I say vision, this is what I mean. A vision is a mental picture of what could be, fueled by the passion that it should be. Are you with me? And, And many of us We have those visions for for areas of our lives. We have areas of our life where we think, man, I just know this is what God wants, and I know this is where I wanna be, and this is what I wanna achieve, and I know God's put this in my heart. And some of you are like that. Some of you are completely lost on this idea. You say, Todd, that is not in my boat. I'm gonna help you get in that boat just a little bit today. Because I believe, and let me put it like this, I believe that a compelling vision for your life will limit options and make decisions clear. Think about it. There are so many times in my life where it wasn't like, it wasn't even an option. What did I want to do? Or Because I knew what I really wanted for that arena of my life. I just knew those weren't options. So when you think about your finances and where you want to be financially in five years or ten years or, or, or whatever, I, I would just ask you the question, do you have a compelling vision when it comes to where do you want to be at financially? Because many of you know God wants you to be debt-free. God wants you to have margin. God wants you to be able to be generous, but how many know if you ain't got nothing, it's harder to be generous. It's not impossible. You just have to be generous creatively, but God wants you to be generous. So many of us, we, we, we don't have a plan for our finances. We have no thought for the future, and so you know what we do? We do whatever feels good at the moment. Well, yeah, I want that purse. That is amazing. Did you feel the leather on that with all these girls? It's like the Holy Spirit left inside of you right there. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. Anyway, you know, guys, we, we, we see things. You know, I have a buddy of mine who, who just so badly wanted to buy a gun. It was like, and it was super expensive. He's like, I just really, really want it. I just really, really need it. And he had this lapse where for this moment he lost sight of what his big picture vision was for his finances, and and I I could go down the list. I've had these times, I remember being a young man and before I had a, a clear vision for where I wanted to be financially, that car just looked cool. Guys, have you ever had car fever? Okay, there's some chuckling, but nobody's owning it yet. Okay, you had car fever before. Please, somebody raise, you've had car fever before. You knew it was stupid. You knew they were trying to sell you undercoating and that's not real and he said something about a flux capacitor being in there and that's not real either and you got the upgrade thing here and it just, it just got you and then they were like, well, let me go back and talk to my manager. That's bull. Anyway, they sold you on that car because they knew when you walked in, they could see the glistening in your eye. You had car fever that day and in that moment, you either didn't have a vision or you had lost sight of the vision of where God might want you to be when it came to your finances. All right, single people. (laughs) Let's be honest. You and I all, if we sat back and we prayed and said, God, what is it that you want for my dating? And what is it that you have in my future for marriage? And we began to pray and seek God about what that compelling vision might be. Remember, a compelling vision limits options. And it makes direction clear. And so all of a sudden you get that picture of who it is that you really believe God wants you to be, or the type of man, or the type of woman that God wants you to be with. How many know that begins to limit bonehead number one, number one, idiot number two. You don't settle for Mr. Right now. You you, you begin to wait, your options become clearer. Or the options become fewer, and the direction becomes clear that you know you're not you're not you're not settling for Mr. right now. You're gonna wait for Mr. Mr. Wright. Why? Because we know that if we will do it God's way, we'll have a more blessed life than if we come up with something on our own and all throughout our life. We, we, we could do this with our marriage. We could do this with our profession. God wants you to be driven by a compelling vision, something great for your life. And this is what Nehemiah shows us. Nehemiah, let me give you the context of what we're about to read in the scripture here. Ne- Everybody say Nehemiah. It's not a common name today, but Nehemiah, this is what you need to know about the history of Nehemiah and the Jewish people. The Jewish people at, at one point in time had basically gotten conquered by another nation. They had gotten whooped, beat up, and drugged out of their homeland. Basically a guy named Nebuchadnezzar from the Babylonian Empire went through and he would just dominate and and terrorize. And and he had this brilliant idea, it was actually pretty smart, is that he would take the best and the brightest from every country that he dominated and then he would bring them and integrate them into the cultural system so that he in essence raised the water level of intelligence and creativity and, and, and all that wisdom and all that goes along from these cultures. And so he brought in, this is where you read stories about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He had taken the people hostage. Well, down the road, the, the, the Persian Empire eventually dominated. Dudes, if you ever watched 300, it wasn't that weird. But um, basically, a guy from the Persian Empire overtook the Babylonian Empire. But he was really cool. And the Bible actually prophesied that a future king named Cyrus would let the people go. Believe it or not, the prophecy was made while they were prosperous and wealthy. And everybody thought, this prophet is nuts. And sure enough, a few hundred years later, a man named Cyrus, who was the king of Persia, decides to let the people of Israel go home. So these people are released from captivity and bondage, and they are allowed to travel home and go back to their native land of Israel and their capital city called Jerusalem. Now, here's the problem is they didn't have a lot of means, and they didn't have a lot of resources. They were slaves for a while. And, and so they first get back, and the first thing they do is they rebuild the temple. But everything is chaotic. There's no law, there's no structure, there's no infrastructure, there's no economy. It's just a big, giant mess. And there's a gentleman named Nehemiah who is the cupbearer of the king. Basically, he works in in the Oval Office. He's one of the the council members to the king. And he goes to the king eventually. He says, my heart is burdened because I've heard the stories. He'd never even been there before. He said, I heard the stories of Jerusalem, how there are no walls around the city. And God has put it on my heart and has burdened my heart to rebuild the walls of the great city of Jerusalem. And so sure enough, the guy says, I bless you to go do this, and I'll even help you fund the thing. So he sends Nehemiah and all these resources back to the city of Jerusalem. And again, he finds it in utter chaos, and Nehemiah begins to rally the people. He's in, it's, it's an incredible story of leadership to see what he does. And he rallies the people, and he rallies the cause, and he rallies the resources, and he begins to rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem. It's an incredible story. But in in chapter six, this is what we find, is that no great endeavor comes without obstacles. Can I get an amen? It ain't gonna be easy. Somebody's not gonna like your idea, not like your vision, not like the direction you wanna go. You're gonna come up against obstacles and criticism and on and on. And he came up against political enemies. He came up against military enemies. There is at one point where they literally have a shovel in one hand and a sword in the other and they're just trying to save their lives while they rebuild the wall. And this in chapter six is kind of their last ditch effort to stop Nehemiah from rebuilding the walls. And how he responds in chapter six shows you and I how a compelling vision will limit options and make direction clear. Let's read along. Nehemiah chapter six, verse number one. The Bible says, now it was reported to Sanballat. That sounds like a bad guy, doesn't it? Straight up out of like a 007 film. Sanballat. Now it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, to Geshem, the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach remained in it, although I didn't get the doors up yet. That sounds like a guy, doesn't it? Like your wife asks you to fix some stuff, and you're like, well, I did all this. I don't have the door up yet, but I mean, look at all I did. This is what it looks like at my house at least. Next verse. So that Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me, Nehemiah saying, come, we should get together. Let's meet up at Shepharim in the plain of Ono. But they were planning to harm me. So I sent message to them saying, and this is the, tar- the part of the Bible that you want to underline. If you got like markers or highlighters or whatever, this is the, this is the thing that you want to you hone in on. He is given an opportunity to go meet with these political leaders and to go meet with these men. And he sends word and goes, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should I leave, or why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Everybody say this phrase. Everybody say, I am doing a great work. Let's say it again. I am doing... A great work. Everybody say, a great work. I can't come down. See, I have a compelling vision for my life. And see, when you have a compelling vision, it limits, op- or it limits opportunities and it limits your options and it makes direction clear. I mean, like, I mean, just to be honest, when you have a compelling vision for your marriage... There are certain things that just become no automatically. You don't even have to pray about them. You already know that they're no because you know that the vision that you have for your marriage, that would be derailed if I went there or if I hung out with them or if I went down that road or if I, it would be derailed. We don't even have to pray about this. I know the type of marriage that God wants me to have. So I just know there's certain things I won't do. There's places I won't go. The options just get smaller I mean, no, the smaller the number of options, it is easier to make some decisions, isn't it? And then because the compelling vision is there, it's so clear. I just know what I need to do. And again, we, we, we find in this story, we find the blueprint for how you and I should have a compelling vision for our life. If you read the whole book of Nehemiah, you would find it. If, you, if we just stayed in chapter six, what I'll show you today is this, is it makes really, really clear for you and I what we ought to do when it comes to forming a vision for our life. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to jump right into the application of what I want you to do. Are you ready? The first thing I want you to do is this, is I want you to write it down. When you figure out what it is and you've prayed and you've sought God, you just know what it is and you've read the scriptures and you know what great marriage looks like or you know what finances should be like or you know what your dating life should be look like, you know what your career, you know. The first thing I want you to do is write it down. You know why? Because there's some type of leap that you make emotionally and mentally when you start writing stuff down. I can't fully explain it. If I had a psychologist up here, they might be able to tell you some things in detail, but we all know that when you write it down, it takes a leap in your heart. It moves forward. It becomes more solidified. Hey, hey, couples, if you're married, I dare you to do this together. I dare you to sit down and ask yourselves a question. What is the vision that you and I have for our family moving forward? And begin to think about and pray about what that vision actually looks like, and then this is what I want you to do. I want you to write it down. As a matter of fact, this is what Habakkuk said. He goes this in Habakkuk chapter two. The Bible says that the Lord answered me and said this, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets or post-it notes or whatever you have so that he may run who reads it. See, the reason why I want you to write it down is because you're gonna need a reminder. See, life drifts obstacles come up, heartaches happen. You know what? You're going to be discouraged at some point in time. You're going to wonder, is this marriage really the thing? I mean, are you kidding me? Do you know what she's like? Do you know what he did? And you're going to be discouraged in that moment, but you're going to go back and you're going to read it so that you can begin to run with the vision. Again, listen to this. He says, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie, though it tarries, wait for it, because it surely will come, it will Not, Terry, what he's saying is this, is that just so you know, when you have a compelling vision for your life, they're not easy. Sometimes they're hard. Sometimes they're difficult. And you have to go back and read it again. He says, but wait for it. Just wait for it. The very next scripture that he gets into in Habakkuk chapter two is this, for the just shall live by faith. Like you gotta just hang in there. But write the vision. Number two is this, is I want you to pray the vision. Like you gotta pray, like, like I want you to pray for it, so that you get it and then I want you to pray for it every time and, and, and here's why. It's because so many times the vision that you have for your life or the vision that God's put in your heart, it, it's gonna look like impossible. And you're gonna be sitting there just saying like, oh how, I, I get that God, that God wants me to be debt free but do you know how much those school loans are? I get that you want me to be how but you know what I've done in the past to get me in this place professionally? I mean, I just don't know how I'm gonna climb out of this thing. Here's why you pray. I want you to pray about what the vision is. I want you to pray and let God work out the how of the vision. God is a genius at the how. God is the master of the how. God can figure out the how. God can move heaven and earth to get you where you need to be. You need to pray for the what. And keep believing for and keep hanging on to the what. Don't stress. About the how. Not only pray for that vision. Here, here's what I would love for you to do too. I want you to pray with others for that vision. Like, like every once in a while you need another friend. You need another couple. Maybe it's a small group. You need somebody to pray with you for that vision. And here's why. Is that all God ordained visions are shared visions. Nobody does it alone. Like if that thing is a great work. Do you think Nehemiah built that wall by himself? Hmm. He rallied the troops, he rallied the people, he rallied every bit of support he could and said, I need you to believe with me. I need you to support me, I need you to help me in this. And there's gonna be some times where you just need to go for the big ask and say, hey, look, here's what we are believing for. Will you believe with me and will you pray with me? You need to pray the vision. Number three is this, not only do you pray the vision, you protect your vision. You have to, because that vision is not easy. The greatness that God wants to do through you, and in, it's, it's not going to be easy. As a matter of fact, when you read the story of Nehemiah, we, I, I don't know that we kept reading all the story. He, we, this is what he says in verse number three. He responded to Sanballat, the evil one, and says, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? They sent messages to me four times in this manner, and I answered them the same way. And in verse number five, he goes on to say, but they really didn't want to meet with me. Actually, they were trying to kill me. So you're gonna have to protect the vision. I'm gonna give you three things everybody has to protect the vision from. Number one is this, is, is opportunities. You gotta remember, like, your vision is great. But there are gonna be other options that come up. There are gonna be other opportunities that come up. And guess what, here's what you need to know. Some of them are gonna be good opportunities. But you know what, the, 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 the enemy to great is good. Like the enemy to great is never bad. Like we've gotten far away from great before we get tempted with bad. When we're at the level of great, we get tempted with good. And all of a sudden, guys, this is, this is what I mean by that. You know the vision that God's given you for your marriage and for your family. And the temptation is gonna be that you got the pressure and you got the deadline at work and you'd be tempted to pick up that phone and say, babe, I'm gonna have to work late one more night. I'm so sorry. And I'm telling you, it's an opportunity. It's not the vision. And sometimes those opportunities, ladies, listen, moms, there's gonna be some cool opportunities for you to squeeze just that, like one more good activity into your family schedule, that one more good activity into your kid's uber-slam-full day planner life, which, by the way, y'all are crazy. I don't know how you do it. And I'm telling you, you're going to have to say no to those good opportunities. Ladies, men, like if you're single out there, like, trust me, I know she's pretty, but you know she's not the one, so why are you wasting your time? It's an opportunity, but it's not a great work. Do you see the difference? Learn to say no to the opportunities. I promise God's got something greater for you. Here's the second thing you have to protect it from. It's criticism. Like, as a matter of fact, in the story, so after they, uh, they, they send to say, hey, come meet with us so we can kill you, the very next thing that happens is is they send these messengers. Now, back in their days, when you were to send a message, you would write it on leather or a scroll, and then you would seal it with wax and put your seal on it, Right? They sent a letter that was an unsealed letter all throughout the nation, and what they were trying to do was mount political pressure and criticism against Nehemiah's project and vision. Basically, like, he's trying to get everybody else to rally against him. That was his plan, to try to derail Nehemiah from building. I'm telling you, when you have a great vision for your life, somebody's going to have something negative to say about it. As a matter of fact, like, this is... This is the type of thing that that, that I find, like, your friends say sometimes, your parents. I remember becoming a new believer. (laughs) This is going to sound weird because my parents are Christian parents. I remember becoming a new believer, and I was so radical about following Jesus, my parents were concerned about that. And they were like, look, Todd, you used to be—I won't tell you what they said. I was really, really bad, though. Let's just—I'll put it in good word. I was really, really bad. They were like, well, you used to be really, really bad. And now you're really—and we're just a little worried— that you maybe have gone too far with the whole Jesus thing. And I'm like, aren't you Christians? What the heck is wrong with y'all? And so sometimes you have that from parents or friends. or Like you have friends say, man, you're just not any fun anymore. Like you used, remember how we used to go out? Remember what you used to do? You used to be so much more fun. And then you got married or then you started going to church and then you started whatever, whatever. You've become so religious. Come on, it's just one night. Come on and live a little. Ah, you've changed. And all the criticism mounts, and you feel the pressure. Oh, you know what? You're, you're right. I mean, you're right. It's just, it's just one night. It's just one trip to Vegas with the bachelor. I, she'll never know. Um, it, it's just okay. And, and the criticism mounts, and I'm telling you, a great vision. It limits options. And it makes direction clear. At some point, you're gonna to have to get something so buried in your heart where every time those opportunities come, every time the, the criticism comes, you're gonna to have to say those words. Hey, look, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. I'm doing a great work. I'm not coming down. The, 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 the last thing, not the last thing, but at least the third thing I'll mention to you that, that derails you from your vision is fear. Sometimes it's opportunities, and they're good usually. Sometimes it's criticism, but sometimes fear just derails you from what God really has put in your heart. As a matter of fact, in the story of Nehemiah, this is what they do. They try to get him off the wall by sending a bogus, fake assassination attempt. And they say, hey, look, they're sending assassins to come kill you. You need to get out of here. You need to go hide. You need to get off that wall. You know them gates aren't done. That's what my wife would have said. You know you didn't fix the door yet, but I'm telling you they're gonna kill you, and they try to demotivate him through fear. And he replies in verse number 11, he goes, should a man like me flee? Hey, that takes guts, doesn't it? Should a man like me flee? Meaning like, hey, look, I don't, I don't think you recognize the vision that God's put in my heart, that this isn't just a work that I'm doing. This is a great work. And the great work demands that I don't run an eye. The great work demands that even in the face of fear, I keep pursuing the vision that God gave me. And again, here's the type of things that will come into your mind. Well, I know I need to quit that job. I know I shouldn't be there, but what if I can't find another job? Well, I know God wants me to reach out, but what if they reject me? Well, I know we shouldn't probably be together, but what if I end up alone? And all the what ifs drive us, and the what ifs derail us, and the what ifs take the great work and the great vision that we used to have Everything gets a little bit more blurry and then there becomes a whole lot more options and then we lose our way and then we get a year down the road or five years down the road and we end up living with regrets. Then we end up living with a different set of what ifs. We end up living with what if I would have just obeyed God? What if I would have gone ahead without fear? What if I would have trusted God and done it anyway? Then you end up again. And you know this, if you've ever made decisions that you look back on and regret, usually it takes a little bit of time. Now, some of them are so bad that you immediately, <laughs> you remember that Anchorman when they jump into the pit with the bears? And he's like, I immediately regret this decision. Some of them are that bad. But many times you get down a year down the road or two years down the road or three years down the road and then all of a sudden it occurs to you, I have gotten off path and it took me this long to figure it out. All because fear motivated you to get off the right track. Okay, so here's my question. What is the vision that you have for your life moving forward? What is the vision that you have for your marriage? What's the vision that you have for your finance? Hey, parents, what's the vision that you have for your kids? Like I said, number one is this you need to write the vision. Number two, you need to pray your vision. Number three, protect your vision. Number four is that you got to work the vision. You got to work it. It won't come easy. It's gonna work. Now, you already prayed for it. And here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to pray as if it completely depends on God and I'd like you to work as if it completely depends on you. You do both, I'm telling you. You'll have heaven and earth converging on that vision. You pray as if it completely depends on God but you work as if it completely depends on you and you will have heaven and earth converging together. Double teaming up on that vision. I'm telling you, you have to work it. And here, Here's the question that I think many of us need to ask when it comes to working the vision. What will you need to give up? You ever think about that? You want that for your marriage? I'm telling you, at some point in time, you're gonna have to give up A, B, and C. You want this for your kids, you're gonna have to give up A, B, and C. If you want this for your finances, guess what, you're gonna have to say no to these things at some point. That's how you're gonna work the vision. So you ask yourself, what do I need to give up? And the next question is, what what steps do I need to take? If God really has put something great in my heart, because you gotta know this, everybody in life ends up somewhere. Some people end up somewhere on purpose. Everybody in life ends up somewhere, but people who have a vision end up right where God wanted them to be. Which one are you going to be? And I'm telling you that Nehemiah paints a picture of how you do this. You get a compelling vision, a compelling burden in your heart that says, I know God has put this in my heart, and then I write the vision, I say the vision, I repeat it to me, I work it, I pray it, I stay focused on it, and I protect it, and you know at the end of the day, you accomplish a great work. Because that vision, it limited all the other opportunities and all the other options, and all of a sudden, God's path became clear, and then you're right in the middle of the sweet spot. Number five is this. Repeat steps one through four. Last scripture, and I'll close with this. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter two, verse number 10, it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. Do you know that you've been you've been prepared? Like you weren't an accident. I was to my parents. I was like eight when I found that out and I was a little devastated, but I'm like, What? You did huh? What? You wanted to wait two more years? I'm no accident. To them, but not to God. He prepared me in advance, beforehand, for good works. And when I realize what those good works are and I realize what the vision is that God has for my life, I write it and I say it and I read it and I speak it and I pray it and I protect it and I work it and I work it and I just keep doing it over and over and over again. Why? Because God's prepared me for a great work. I can't come down. My priorities have become clear. The plans that God has for me, they're too big. I don't have time to mess with silliness. I don't have time to mess with things that are distractions. I don't, I have a great work to do. I cannot come down, and you're gonna find yourself in that same boat, in that same situation. So literally me, here, here's what I've done. I've got certain areas and arenas of my life where I've got a, a, a vision statement and a vision thought for how I want. When it comes to my kids, it, it is really, really clear, and I've got some details to it, but the driving statement is this, is that I want to build my children and build my family in such a way that they may know and serve God. So all of my decisions, they fall underneath that big, huge vision statement and idea. So I know, like I got, I got so much flack, I started homeschooling my kids and the people look at you weird when you do that. I think they think like you go churn butter and make clothes or something. Um, I was actually out on the golf course the other day and I was like, it was like Friday at noon and, uh, and we're playing golf and some family looks at me that's out there, they're all older and they're like, hey, shouldn't he be in school? And it dawned on me, I'm like, oh wow, it's Friday. I didn't even think about that. And I'm like, well, yeah, we finished already. This is PE now. So um, but I caught all kinds of flack when I started homeschooling my cat. I caught criticism. You know, I had all these people like, are you sure you want to do that? Isn't that kind of weird? Isn't that hard? Or, you know, people are like, that's too hard. I couldn't do that. You, I can't believe you're doing that. Or, you know, they have all these different ideas. I was like, I don't know. This is what God put in my heart. And I'll tell you what drove it. What drove that idea behind me homeschooling was that the most important thing in the world were not that they were, they were at the highest levels of academia, although they're freaking smart. They're really sharp kids. It's not that they're... It's not that they meet the, 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 the pinnacle of, of high school sports. Although my son played football yesterday. I think he had like three or four touchdowns. Like, that's all cool. I'm all down with that. But that stuff is a sideshow. The football, the academic, it's a sideshow. God forbid my kids become professional athletes and, and, and doctors and lawyers and split hell wide open. Jesus said it like this. What is it like if a man gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? Was it really worth it? And to me, I'm like, no, it's not. I have one compelling vision that my kids may know and serve God. That's it. That drives everything I do with my kids. When it comes to my marriage, I have a simple statement. is I want to always enjoy coming home to my wife and her feel the same way about me. Like, that's the statement that I remind myself of when I think about marriage. I want to always enjoy coming. Hey, the guys, can, can we be honest? Isn't it the, the greatest stinking thing in the world to love to come home to your wife, to look forward to coming home to your wife, and it's hell on earth when it's not like that. Can I get an amen out there or what? Okay. It is. Or for you and your wife to feel the same way about you. I mean, again, you know, when, when, when it came to me as a pastor, there was a compelling vision for how I wanted to do my career. And it was, it was basically the principle of Joseph, which is this, is that I would do my best and I would give my best no matter what my circumstances. That's how I lead. That's how I pastor. Is God, help me to always give my best and do my best no matter what my circumstances, and these are the things. This Under finances, this is the driving statement that I may be a steward that handles God's money with care. Like that's the driving statement. I'm the owner of nothing. I'm the steward of everything, and God helped me to be a good steward and handle your money with care. So I don't make financial decisions based on what I want. I think about what would God have me do and his compelling vision. And guess what? God's vision for your finances is better than your vision. I promise. And these things guide me. These things are the compelling vision that limit all other options and make his direction clear. My prayer and my hope for you today is this. Is that you walk out of this place and you begin to seek God and you begin to ask God for the different arenas of your life. Professionally, dating, financially, whatever it is. You begin to seek God and say, God, what is it that you want for my life? And then I want you to write the vision. I want you to pray the vision. I want you to protect the vision. I want you to work the vision. And then I want you to do it over and over again so that you can experience God's abundant life. Let's pray this morning. God, I thank you that you did not leave us hopeless and wandering. God, you've given it to us. God, through your Holy Spirit, he's guiding us through your scriptures. They're teaching us through, God, everything that you've given us, God, you have showed us the best way to live life. God, you showed us a path to your abundant life, and it is in you. That Jesus, without you, none of this matters that Jesus, aside from you, none of this really matters. But God, with you, God, you can give us an abundant life. And so, God, we declare today, God, we need you. We need you to help us. We need you to speak to us. God, we pray that you would give us that compelling vision for our life, for our family, for our future, for the purpose that you've, even before time began, that you created us for. God, we pray that you would help us to find those clear paths, And to live in the sweet spot of your life, God. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' wonderful and holy name. And we all said, Amen. Can we give.